Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. One of the things that I really, really enjoyed last year, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, was do a Bible study with the pastor learning through the Bible and understanding it and having having the, the, the background to the stories has really, it's challenged me to learn, want to learn more, to learn more about what the Bible has done. I've really enjoyed being an online host for the Creekwood United Methodist Sunday morning church service. Comments that we make online help us all feel like we're together it's a way for us to stay as a community, even from afar. And I love doing yoga here. I love this space. It's one of the most beautiful places to be in the sanctuary and be looking at the cross and look out into the, the garden or to be in one of the other rooms and be looking out onto the pond. It's very peaceful. And I find that Coming to the church other times of the week just reconnects me to my faith. It reconnects me to the people here, and I just love it. It's meant a lot to me. It's a very spiritual place. Is it weird watching yourself, Sandra? Yeah, welcome to our world. So I appreciate all the people who have um, shared their experiences and their stories, those uh, times where God has shown through, the times where the church has meant something to them. I, I appreciate all of the stories that we've seen in these bumper videos um, because not only do they tell their individual story with God, but they tell our collective church story with God and how God has been able to work within and through Creekwood for the benefit of our community and for the benefit of God's world. And um, ultimately, what we hope those stories will bring is inspiring each one of us to ask the question of how can God use me? How can I be a part of the story that God is unfolding, the story that God is telling, the story that God has told of good news, of victory that we can be a part of and that we're called to be a part of? Um, Carol Powell, who is a professor at Fuller Seminary, um, is big on um, this, the aspect of story. She will reiterate, how can somebody know about something you've experienced that is great unless you tell them how great it is? And a lot of her work comes around working with children and youth and faith formation with young people. And she, has, she believes that she's developed the one question that will determine if she goes into a college campus or otherwise to any 18 through 25 year old that she believes she can ask this one question that will determine whether they are involved in a faith community or will be sometime um, before they have kids especially and, uh, or even afterward. And that question is, have your parents told you why their faith is important to them. To put it a different way, have the people that you've trusted the most, loved the most, have been loved by the most, and those people that you model your life after, whether intentionally or unintentionally, have those sacred people in your life told you, invited you, 
into the story they understand as a part of their life, foundational into how God loves them. This is the question that she believes, um, uh, that she believes you can tell because that is the most influential part, uh, the most influential um, people that will tell you that story. And we have this similar situation here in the letter called Second Timothy of highly invested mentor figures writing a letter to a very young person. By the time we get to Second Timothy, Timothy is conveniently, for our birthday purposes, around 20 years old. It just happened that way. Um, when Paul meets Timothy in Acts chapter 16, he's a teenager, and he is so impressed by Timothy that he wants Timothy to come with him to be like right-hand person to plant churches and spread the good news throughout the Mediterranean world. Um, and what, Tim, what Paul sees in Timothy that Timothy may have over other people is we learn in the beginning of 2 Timothy that Timothy has a mom named Eunice and a grandmother named Lois. It's always the moms and the grandmothers who make the biggest difference in the world, isn't it? So Eunice and Lois, Paul writes about, are so faithful in sharing the scriptures, educating Timothy in the story that he has been a part of, that he has the, the backing and the faith and the lessons from those to go and be an effectual person for Paul in his mission. By the time we get to, uh, but by the time we get to Second Timothy, also what we know is that Paul is essentially this is his last will and testament. First Timothy is writing to Timothy about what a uh, healthy faith community looks like. Second Timothy is what a healthy faith leader looks like as Paul is passing on the torch. And in this environment, when by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, Timothy might have reason to be scared. Paul describes the world like this, that in the last days distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, hairs of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds like a fun environment to go start churches in, right? But I've heard some of us say the same thing about today. Right? Churches nationwide and in our community, families nationwide and in our community have struggled with the realities of COVID. They've struggled with the polarization of politics. They have struggled with all of these community influences that have come around us. There is a uh, hardship and not one that is untrue. There is a cultural atmosphere in which those who are in churches, starting churches, spreading the good news, might have a little anxiety when they hear that one out of every three adults claims to be part of any kind of faith community whatsoever. So there's reason for anxiety when Timothy is being left on his own to go do God's work. There's anxiety and there's worry that is not unfounded. But what Paul tells Timothy, even though he's going away and Timothy doesn't have Lois or Eunice anymore, what Paul tells Timothy is that even in hard times, remember what your mama taught you. Remember the scriptures, remember the story, and you will be okay. And I need to tell you that the 1 Timothy 3, chapter 14 and through 17, when it says that all scripture is inspired, used for proof, proofing and, and reproving and all that kind of stuff like that, by this point, the word scripture means the Old Testament. It's not a scripture that validates itself as, as an inspiration about itself. What 
Paul is instructing Timothy to remember is the scriptures that Eunice and Lois taught him, which is the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is this great story of God with God's people establishing God's victory here on earth. And there are a few things that I believe that our church history and our church story and the Old Testament can help us to remember when we encounter difficult times or when the society around us doesn't seem as friendly. And the first of those is that God is faithful. There is this, uh, some kind of, I'm going to call it a lie, a lie that is pervasive. And it started a long time ago, but it really picked up around um, the Protestant work ethic that established in early colonial America. And this understanding that if you are faithful enough, then God will bless you more. It's the prosperity gospel. And so that has uh, unfolded into this idea that if you are a believer of God, if you follow God, then everything in your life will be fine. Your marriage will be perfect. Your bank account will increase. You will never lose a job. No one will ever die around you. Everything will be hunky-dory and perfect. But that's weird because in John 16, 33, Jesus literally says, you are going to have trials if you follow me. If you're generous, you're opening yourself up to hurt. If you're loving, you're opening yourself being vulnerable. If you're learning, you're opening yourself to new ideas that are challenging. There is all sorts, and even in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you go up just a few verses ahead of what we read, Paul says, if you are a believer in Christ, you are going to suffer on some level. Being a Christian takes commitment. It is hard. It will not always be perfect. But what Timothy needs to remember is that God is faithful. From the very beginning, when God calls Abram away from Ur and the comfort of his home to go to this land that he will show, God provides the land. When there's famine in that land, God takes Abram to Egypt, where he's provided for. When Egypt turns into a bad place because of human sin, God takes the Israelites out of Egypt into the land flowing with milk and honey. There is a consistent message within the Old Testament, within the story of God, that God is faithful because God has said, you are my people and I am your God and I will take care of you. When they're in the wilderness going back to the promised land, when they are hungry, they are fed. When they are thirsty, they are given water. God continues to be faithful. God continues to show up all the way, even when the the wealthy elite rulers of Israel are getting a little too proud and full of themselves in the prophetic text. God is faithful to the little people the way that the law commands that we be faithful to the people who don't have enough. If you've been around Creekwood at all, one of the, my favorite things about when I talk to you know, people who were here at the founding of the church, and I would, and I would ask them to describe, you know, how has your experience with the church has been? And the number one thing that kind of comes into all the consensus is the, the phrase, God is faithful is the number one thing that people draw out of their experience of starting this church and of helping grow this church and helping nourish new people that come into this church because the history of Creekwood has not been all roses and daisies. We can't just look at this wonderful place and say that this has just all been this perfect environment for for all time. I shared last week about the struggles within one certain small group. There's been other ministries that we thought we had the magic bullet for, but they've died only to be resurrected again because God is faithful. When you start a church, you are for four or five years over in a gymnasium setting up chairs and taking down chairs, and it's exhausting, but you know what? God is faithful, and God provided persistence and patience and fun in those hard moments as you bonded with other people through the hard work, and God provided new people to jump on board to give those other people a break. And then even when, after just a few years, the founding pastor started acting inappropriately and had to leave, God was faithful.
helpful. And this retired elder, this retired pastor named Mike Haynes came in and Mike was a steady influence for this church for so long, providing so many great moments of care. And the way he tells the story is never met a whole lot of people when he came to the church, got up on stage the first Sunday that he was ever here and looked out and he said, you know what I've heard about Creekwood? And I think some people thought that he was going to like talk about a damaged reputation or unrealized dreams or, or something from the hardship. And Mike says, you know what I've heard about Creekwood? Creekwood rocks. And coming from a 70-year-old man, that just has a lot more impact. Right? What we have seen in the history of 20 years is that God is faithful. And one of the ways we've seen that God is faithful is the second thing that I believe, or, well, before I get to that, one of the things I want to, uh, well, I'll just go in and I'll skip that part. So one of the things that I think, one of the ways I think we've seen that God is faithful is the second thing I think Paul wants Timothy to remember is that God provides what is needed. God has given us what we need. Now reference back to the Exodus when they're coming through the wilderness and they're hungry, so God gives them manna. And there's a specific part of that story that we tend to forget is that the Israelites are loading up to go off to the promised land and they've got all their meat and all their cows and all their luggage and everything that they could possibly load on to carry. And Aaron and Miriam and Moses are like, no, you're going to move too slow. You've got to cut down the weight because God will give us what we need. And sure enough, when they're hungry, the manna comes. When they are thirsty, the water is there. Throughout all of scripture, even Gideon in Judges goes to battle. He's got 32,000 soldiers and God says, all you need is 300. When there's the Moses and the, the Noah and the flood story, right? You think you want to pile on everything you can, but just take two of every animal. When Elijah is running for his life and he's hungry and he just needs a good nap, Elijah is not sent to the rich young ruler or Joseph of Arimathea, the wealthy. Elijah is sent to the Philistine widow who doesn't know if she has enough food for herself and her son. And we have this five loaves and two fishes moment where there is enough and there is more. I would argue on some level that the scriptures that Timothy inherits, the Old Testament, that one of the main messages is do not be afraid. Throughout the, uh, throughout the, entire, uh, the entire message, you've maybe heard before that the, um, the line do not be afraid is in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. Um, I hate to tell you that's not totally true. Um, and they wrote that to sell devotional books, but it is in there 147 times, and 107 of those times are in the Old Testament as the Israelites are becoming a people and learning who God is and setting up uh, an equitable state and learning how to be God's people in the world. And they have gone through armies and invasions and wilderness and famine and all of these things that could bring fear and anxiety and as human beings when we experience fear and when we experience having to lose something what we tend to do is try and maximize control so that we don't lose too much and so we hoard or we gain or we try and control and we become this very closed box this very closed insular uh, insular person and what that means is we don't participate and we don't give and we don't serve the way that we are called to do. And when we look through the Torah, when we look through the law of this story that Timothy inherits, the entire law is set up under the assumption that there's enough for everybody. You are called to give to the poor because there is enough for everybody. You are called to give to the temple because you have enough. Everything centers around this idea that God has given us what we need. This is what tithing is about. This is what pledging is about. 
It's the trust that if you give this money to God, right, not as a transactional thing, it's basically God has already given me enough, so I will give to God for God's purposes in the world. One of the things that Carrie Lynn will talk about in, uh, in announcements is you're going to get this as you leave. It's the ordinary love challenge. And it's daily activities, daily missional service activities that you can do throughout the month of February to, to correspond with the sermon series we're going to do because the idea of missions is you are willing to give and you are willing to serve because you believe there is enough to go around. And this is something, I mean, just stories in Creekwood's history that, I mean, just not getting into too many details, but I could tell you the just small little things like um, one day, it was about five or six years ago, I remember just distinctly coming in and receiving a text message, um, almost as, like worship had already started, and I received a text message from the person that was supposed to read scripture. And he said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I forgot to let you know I'm sick, I can't come to church, which has been a regular for the last two years um, uh, situation. And um, like 30 seconds later, someone comes and taps me on the shoulder, and it's a woman who says, hey, when am I supposed to read scripture during the service? Right, and it's just a small thing of God providing someone to step up. There have been times in which we have been trying to start ministries or trying to improve ministries, and we thought, you know, if we just hire the right person, if we, only the right person can be found outside of the church, what don't we have that we need to go get? And what we found is there's often just the right volunteer, right? Christy Herman was here the entire time for Open Door. What we found over and over again is that God has already given us what we need. We just tend to be scared. We tend to be fearful. And we tend to guard ourselves, not recognizing that we might be what God has given for what God needs in the world. So Timothy's called to remember in this anxious time that God is faithful and God gives us what we need when we need it. And then the most important factor in here is that Timothy is supposed to remember that God will prevail. And this starts the entire thing, the faith that God will prevail. And this isn't, you know, we're not looking at Revelation, we're not looking at anything Jesus said, or we're not even looking at Jesus on the cross providing salvation and victory. We're looking at this Old Testament. And one of the things that's interesting about the Old Testament, when we look at it from like a Christian, a Christian organized Bible, is it, the Old Testament ends in Malachi because of the way that it's organized according to the law, the, some of the writings, the prophets, and then... Um, and then ending with the minor prophets. Um, but if you were to pick up um, a Tanakh, a, a Jewish version of the Old Testament, it is ordered very differently on purpose. And it actually reads better, I think, if you read it in the uh, Old Testament way of organization. Now, the last part of it is called the Ketuvim. And the Ketuvim is the writings and wisdom literature. So you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you've got Ecclesiastes. And the way it's set up is that you get the law. You get everything that God has already said, this is the way things should be. When people come to me and say, I just don't know what God wants me to do, the first question I usually ask them is, when's the last time you opened up your Bible? Because there's a whole lot in there about what God has already given to us in terms of the next step that we can make. So the law is structured for what we are supposed to do, what God has already given us. The prophets are, you're not doing it right, let's check ourselves and get back on track. The wisdom literature comes because the way that the... uh, people who wrote the Old Testament, the way people understood God in that time, is that the, the writing is there, the Psalms are there, the wisdom of the Proverbs are there, because we are supposed to continue the story. 
We are supposed to make decisions. We are supposed to have wisdom. We're supposed to use our faithful intellect and we're supposed to use our faithfulness to discern where we fit into the story and where we're called to live out our service and where we're called to go and share the good news. And we are called to have some responsibility in forming that future. And it's really telling that instead of ending in Malachi with a prophet, it's ended in Chronicles. And we've already got kings. We've got the history earlier in the Kings, but Chronicles is a retelling of everything that happens in Kings from a later perspective. And it ends with um, this scripture uh, from Chronicles that, um, that ends with uh, King Cyrus, who is the Persian king who has now conquered the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were the ones that conquered Israel, sent everyone into exile, took them away from the temple, destroyed the temple, and the Jewish people thought that all is lost and all is sunk. Right, it's Timothy who's in the middle of a strange world without his mentor anymore thinking, what do I do next? And yet the last line of the Old Testament that Timothy has read is one where King Cyrus tells the Jewish people, if you are a follower of God, go home. Go rebuild the temple. This is what the Lord is commanding of you. And there's something very telling about the fact that it is a Persian king who is doing the Lord's work. All throughout, there has been this line of purity. You're not supposed to intermarry with the Philistines or the Canaanites. You're not supposed to worship false gods or false idols. You're not supposed to follow other kings. You're not supposed to be in political union with any other group. And yet, here at the end, the writer of Chronicles believes that God will prevail so strongly that God will even use a Persian king to get God's message across. The understanding in this, the story that we're supposed to continue, is that God is going to win. God is going to prevail. God is faithful in God's promises. And the church may look different. It may be different people. But some iteration that God will prevail no matter who God has to use. It is our joyful responsibility and our joyful privilege that we get to be a part of that. We get to have experienced God prevailing through hardships at our church. We get to experience God prevailing through the people who are sent into our lives when we are struggling throughout our lives. We have witnessed God's faithfulness. We have witnessed God giving us what we need when we need it. And we have witnessed God prevailing in the the immediate moments. And we have hope for the future moments. And the question that we are invited into is who have we told that story to? Who are the people that we have invited in to this story of God's goodness. If we experience all of this greatness from God, I mean, you, are, you have chosen to come here on a Sunday morning. You've chosen to worship online on a Sunday morning. On some level, this is important to you. You've experienced it. You've decided it's great. Have you left the Yelp review? Right? Have you let other people know what the story is and that they can be a part of it? That's the joyful responsibility we have. It's the joyful good news that we have. We've experienced everything that Timothy experienced. And Paul leaves Timothy with this charge of don't stop now. Yeah, we had a good run. We went around the Mediterranean. We started Corinth. We started Rome. We started all of these other churches. We had a good run. Don't stop now. Because the story is too good that you've experienced. And if you get afraid, if you get scared, if you enter into a time of nervousness, remember what your mama taught you, that God is faithful, that God will provide. And ultimately, no matter what we are afraid of, God will prevail. That's the story 
that we know. Who are you going to tell it to? Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that your Holy Spirit go before us for receptive hearts, receptive ears, receptive minds. We pray that we would not be afraid of not enough, of scarcity. We pray, uh, pray we would not be afraid of um, even being told no on some occasion. Lord, we pray for confidence and courage as we go to invite people into what we believe is the best story of redemption, of healing, of forgiveness, of love and grace and mercy, justice. We pray, Lord, that there would be those to receive it, that we might be confident enough to share, to invite them along. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.